Okay, 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. It's where we've been camped the last month or so. Um, in my version of the NLT, it says, For every child of God defeats this evil world. And we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And as we've looked at this passage over the last few weeks, we've come to the conclusion that overcoming the world is our destiny. It's our destiny in Christ. That Jesus has won the victory. And we're on the victory side. Is that good news? I'd say to that, yes, please. Do you know, we all love to win, don't we? I tried losing and I tried winning. And I know which I prefer. Yesterday, both of my children were in cup finals. And uh, someone said to me, you know, on Friday, it could be a bit iffy on the house. What if one wins and one loses? Well, that is the reality of what happened. Fortunately, as I've discovered, nine-year-olds bounce back really fast. Uh, I suspect my 10-year-old is still basking on the triumph of the big trophy now sitting on the side of his wall. But we love to win, don't we? We love to win. And given the choice, we'd always choose that. Well, folks, this is our destiny in Christ Jesus because he has won the victory and we are on the victory side. The first church I worked at in Canada started off its life with the very imaginative name of Shiloh Word Fellowship. Lovely, isn't it? When the, the, the second pastor came and he changed the name to Christian Victory Church with a very different mandate. And it was teaching people how to walk in victory. The full line was walk in victory, live in love and share the good news. You know, that, 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 that's, that's the pastor's heart, I think, for his people. You know, I long to see all of you flourishing and fruitful and overflowing. I, I long to see you winning and shaking off those cobwebs and winning those persistent battles. The reality, of course, is that the life throws all sorts at us, doesn't it? Some of the things we're actually quite good at dealing with habitually or instinctively, others less well, unfortunately. I think one of, if not the greatest frustration is to walk round and round and round the same mountain without getting over the top. You know, crashing, think of athletics, crashing at the same hurdle every time. Motor racing, crashing into the same corner every time. Falling into the same ditch every time. You know, you can even see it coming. You know that it hurts. You, you may even know the theory in your head and then crash, down you go again. Another senseless argument. Another missed deadline. Another careless comment. Another broken relationship. Another opportunity that we've let go of, we failed to see because of a timidity. You know, and the frustration as a pastor, and also looking back at myself, the frustration I have per personally is seeing good people in this relentless cycle. You know, victory denied over and over again at the same pitfall. Can't quite get the breakthrough. Going round and round and round the same mountain over, and I had visions of 
walking round and round in circles, you know, wearing yourself out, frustrated. If only I could break through. Why is it that I keep failing? The same crisis, the same impetuous reaction, the same flaws. I ask myself, you know, why is it that we struggle? There are many reasons why we might struggle to get up to the top of that wretched mountain. You know, maybe it's, it's that our character is unrefined. You know, there are still rough edges that need to be smoothed off. Maybe it's that we have unsanctified behavior. There are still places within us that God hasn't quite reached yet. Maybe they're bad habits. I mean, we're all creatures of habit. That's why we tend to go round and round, because we're prone to repeat, often without really thinking it through. Maybe it's stubborn intransigence. That means I won't change. It's who I am, warts and all. You know, perhaps you know what the word intransigence is, perhaps you don't. I love that word. I was going to use it, whatever. I wasn't going to change it, whether people understand, because I like that word. I won't change. I know I need to. I just won't. And then we crash over and over again. Even though we're intransigent, we keep hitting the hurdle. We keep falling into the ditch. Maybe, fifth one on my list, maybe it's, it's willful disobedience. God says, I just won't. Maybe number six, perhaps slightly more sensitively, maybe it's, it's we get tricked at, at that, that vulnerable point, that, that point of weakness. You know, I know I'm weak here. I'm trying so hard, but it keeps coming back to bite me. And the reality of it all is that the enemy is mean. And he'll keep confronting you over and over again with the same hot-button issues. He'll keep touching the same raw nerve, irritating the same wound so it never quite properly heals. He'll keep exploiting the same weakness. We've just gone through a list of six possibilities. He'll keep exploiting the same one over and over. And if we have those weaknesses and vulnerabilities, what does it make us to him? Frankly, it makes us easy prey. It takes little effort for him to recreate the same mountain in front of us over and over and over again. In fact, sometimes we do it all by ourselves. And all he has to do is watch from a distance, licking his lips. Similarly, I think that there's a sense that God knows that there are certain things you just have to master. Lessons that you have to learn. There are rough edges on us all that need to be smoothed over. Because once you've got it, you've got it. It's like riding a bike. Once you've got it, it's done. The enemy just can't get you there again. You've reached the top of that mountain. You know the way, and you'll do it every time. The battle has been won. The lesson has been learned. The loophole's been closed. Now we can move on to the next one. We, we, we talk often, don't we, about the fact that the Lord is taking us on a journey of sanctification, a journey of maturing, a journey of cleaning and purifying. Another oft-repeated line, the Lord loves you just the way you are, but too much to leave you that way. That he's trying to mould you like the potter moulds the clay on the wheel, trying to make you more and more and more like Jesus, little by little. 
And so what he does is one by one, he reveals. He brings things to the surface. He deals with those feisty issues and he embeds his character into us. He does it gently. He does it skillfully. And once it's done, it's done permanently. The good news is we're in good company. Many biblical characters went round and round and round the mountain before the Lord had completed that sanctifying, maturing process in them. Think about the Hebrews liberated from Egypt across the Red Sea in the wilderness. For 40 years, they went round and round and round in circles, led by Moses. Moses had just spent 40 years in the desert. He then spent another 40 years leading them round and round and round in circles until they broke through into the promised land. Think about dear old Peter in the New Testament who messed up consistently. If there was a pitfall, if there was a ditch, he jumped into it. No, Lord, don't do that. Get thee behind me, Satan. I'll never deny you, Lord. Let me jump out the boat. Splosh. But look where he ended up by the time the Lord had finished his work in his heart. Another example would be Joseph. Joseph's arrogance brought him about as low as it could possibly be. He was sold into captivity by his own brothers. I mean, I've heard of sibling rivalry, folks, but that's pretty extreme. That pride. And yet, as God worked in him through all the circumstances of life, he reached such a point of humility that he was able to forgive his brothers totally and utterly, to reconcile, redeem them. And it, you know what happened to him? Talk about overcoming the world. He was made ruler of the whole world by Pharaoh himself. So if you feel you're walking round and round and round that same mountain over and over, at least you're in good company. Which makes us wonder, doesn't it? What's your mountain? What's, what's your current mountain? What is it right now? What's, what's that brute that you just can't shake, that you just can't quite get over this hump, and you keep falling off, and you keep going back up, and you keep crashing. Similarly, in, in your life, can, can you name summits that you have conquered? And are, are there any mountains that you desperately love to get to the top of? Again, in my mind, as I ponder this during the week, I'm thinking, okay, what, what are the examples here? And I thought, what are the, what are the top ten mountains? If we put, were to put this in generic terms, say, okay, overall, generally, for us in our daily lives, what are the, the top ten mountains that plonk themselves right in front of our path, loom down on us, intimidate us over and over and over again. We get halfway up and crash, we fall down. What are they? I've got my list of ten. You may have others to add on it. Here we go. Number one, irritable arguments with your spouse. Now, I know you never do that. Of course, I never do that either. Really. Is Catherine here? Okay, she's smiling and waving. Good, that's wonderful. Irritable, you know, it's, you know that's like up the mountain. Why do I do it? I love my wife. Why, why, why do I allow myself to get tired and touchy? Why do, I, why do I keep getting halfway up and falling down? What can break this cycle? How can I get out of this loop? Number two, worrying about what you can't control. And if you do that, okay, worry what? You know, you worry about anything, and if you can't think of anything to worry, you'll invent things to worry about. And so it looms like a dark storm cloud over your life the whole time. Worry, 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 worry. It's like a mountain in front of you. What about fear of what lurks around the next corner? 
ever been there? I don't know what's going to happen when I roll into work at 9 o'clock tomorrow. I don't know what the consequences are going to be about that. Because there's, again, this great shadow of fear. Fear takes many forms. Number four, exploding under, under pent-up pressure. Number five, guilt and shame, regret, condemnation, the shadow of the past. For many people, that is a mountain right in front of them. Number six, these are in no particular order, just as I thought of them. Number six is, is intimidation. You find yourself being intimidated by powerful authority figures, by your boss, by your parents, by strong characters. Number eight, number seven, sorry, is, is that temptation you just can't resist. Again, you fall at that hurdle every single time. You know it's coming, you know it's going to hurt, and you keep giving into it. Number eight, gossip. That itching desire to spread that rumor. You know you shouldn't. You know you mustn't. You know it's damaging. You hate it when people do it about you, but you just can't get over that resisting thing. Number nine, it's the tongue. James describes the tongue as being like a fire, doesn't it? A tongue that you just cannot control when you're provoked. And you go home afterwards and say, why did I say that? Why did I give in? Why did I lash out? Why didn't I just keep my big mouth shut? Now I've got to pull both feet out of it. And number 10, massive mountain in front of many people is they just cannot forgive, just cannot let go, and just cannot move on. So these are the kinds of things I'm thinking about. I, I don't know what you'd add to that list yourself. Maybe yours is on there. Maybe it's not. Ultimately, only you can name your mountain. But our desire is to help you to climb over the top. And that leads, isn't it, to the million-dollar question. How? How, how? how do I climb that mountain that keeps plonking itself there? How do I get over this hurdle? How do I avoid that feisty pothole? Lots of answers. I'm going to zoom in on one principle today that I think you'll find really helpful. And it goes like this. Christian Victory Church, I've already mentioned it. There was one of the leaders there. His name was Brad Doughty. And he used to say this repeatedly. He said, you've got to walk in the light when it's made available to you. You've got to walk in the light when it's made. That seemed to be his answer to everyone's problem. You've got to walk in the light when it's made available to you. And he was like this wise old bird. You know, Brad would say his thing and everyone kind of scratches heads. I'm not quite sure I know what that means, but he's a wise guy. You walk in the light when it's made available to you. Here's the point. When you're stumbling around in the darkness, and we all do it, Jesus will show you the light. That's what he does. That's who he is. Jesus is the light. He's the light giver. He's the revealer. He's given his word. He sent his spirit to show you the way. He will give you the victory. He will give you the keys. He will give you the steps that you need for breakthrough. But when he does, you have to do it. When he shines that light, you have to walk in it. Where he leads, you must follow. When he gives you the key, you've got to put it in the lock, you've got to turn it, and you've got to walk through it. 
Psalm 119, verse 105. says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. God's word is light. It's full of liberating truth. It's a treasure trove of practical wisdom. And the number one way that God will lead you, that it'll shine that light like a beam from a torch straight into your darkness, straight into your issues, straight into your heart, straight at the path up that mountain. Walking in that light is the key to breakthrough. It is how you climb that mountain. It is how you overcome the world. Psalm 119 verse 133 says, Guide my steps by your word, so that I will not be overcome by evil. We're talking about overcoming the world, folks. This is how. And there's three phrases, th- sorry, three, yeah, three phases to this, walking in the light when it's made available to you. The first phase is not knowing. Second phase is revelation, now I know. And the third phase is now I know I'm walking in it. The first one, not knowing is a dangerous place. Hosea 4 verse 6 says, My people are destroyed through lack of knowledge. The flip to that, John 8 32, Jesus said, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Repeatedly through Scripture, they walked in the reality of Hosea 4 verse 6, My people destroyed through lack of knowledge. I mean, read the story of Hosea. And the, the fact is that ignorance will keep you in the dark. It will keep you captive to sin. Keep you tied in knots. It will keep you marching round and round and round that mountain. And the enemy loves blinding eyes. The enemy is the father of lies. He is the prince of darkness. He is the lord of dung. He loves blinding eyes. And if I flip John 8, 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. The flip of that is, if you don't know the truth, if you're believing lies, you'll stumble around in the dark. And that lack of revelation will keep you bound up and defeated, enslaved by sins, under the circumstances, going round and round the mountain. And the world will overcome you repeatedly. That's the lack of knowing. That's the ignorance. But here's what happens when we let God in. John 16, 13 says, When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Psalm 119, verse 130 says, The entrance and unfolding of your words gives light. And that leads us to the second phase in this process, which is now I know. The point of revelation, as as my friend Brad would say, now light has been made available. This is that aha moment, where now I really see it. I really get it. Now it's become clear to me. And this is vital. It's vital that we really get it. It's vital that it gets deep enough into us that it's able to make a real genuine difference. Your breakthrough, your freedom, your success, however you want to define it, depends on us grabbing hold of and catching this truth, this light. So what do we do? 
Folks, we've got to go after it. We've got to go get light. We've got to pour over our Bibles. We've got to read books and listen to teaching. If there's a mountain in front of you and there's a brick wall you keep banging your head in, go get the light. Go and find out the books. Go read them. Go read them over and over again. Get the scriptures. Read them over. Take them for prayer walks. Say, Lord, what do I do about this? How do I deal with this? Go and see your mentors and say, I've got this issue. Don't clam up and put the masks on. Open up and say, look, how do I deal with this? What's the light, what's the breakthrough that'll set me free? How do I get to the top of this wretched mountain? You've got to go get that light. You've got to go after it. And don't let go of it until you get it. I have that picture of Jacob wrestling with God. I'm not going to let go till you show me. That's the spirit that we need to have if we're to overcome. See, I'm convinced that God really wants you to get it. Really wants you to see the light. Let's say, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. When God says he has a good plan for you, he means it. When he talks about transformation, 2 Corinthians 3, 16, 17, 18, when he talks about transformation from one degree of glory to the next, that's, that's what he wants for you. He really means it. When he says and he promises that he'll show us the way, that he'll lead us by his spirit, he'll lead us into all truth, that he sent his spirit to teach you. When he says that, he means it. That's what he's done. And in my experience, he gently and skillfully brings things to the surface so we can deal with them one by one. I mean, those list of mountains, the ten top ones, the different character flaws and things at the beginning. He'll take us on this journey, this walk, this meander, and he one by one brings things to the surface. He shows you where you need to change. We have this thing called conscience, conviction, the Holy Spirit stirring on the inside of us, making us aware of, of, of what we're facing, what we're dealing with, making us perhaps slightly uncomfortable with it. He'll send people across your paths with answers to the questions. Hey, he might even use your pastor's Sunday morning message to shine the light on your path. You never know. You can hope. We've got to get it. We've got to have that revelation. Again, what Brad said, walk in the light when it's made available to you. Then, then number three is once it's been made available to you, you've got to walk in it. Got to walk in it. Just knowing isn't enough. You've got to walk in it. If he reveals the light to you and you don't walk in it, what does that make you? Well, I know what it makes you do. It makes you go round and round and round the mountain. But what does it make you? That's a rhetorical question. John 12, verse 35 says, Walk by the light you have so darkness doesn't destroy you. James's repeated message, faith without works is dead. It's not good enough just to see the light. You must walk in it when you do. When you get that aha revelation, wow, now I get it moment, pay attention because that could well be the key that goes in that door that unlocks it so that you can walk through. Go where the light is taking you because that may well be where your breakthrough is to be found. This is how you climb that mountain. This is the key to victory. This is how we overcome. Walk in the light when it's made available to you. You know, I like to take these things, I like to try and plunge them as deep as I can, 
um, try and convince you compellingly, passionately, jumping up and down if necessary of truth. And then I like to apply it into practical situations. And I got a few textbook answers, really, a few different key issues. And I thought, you know, the best thing I can do probably is to look at a personal example and talk about something that God's been dealing with me with, me with for with, with me, over the last little while. And um, I thought that would be more helpful. And, and for me, it's an ongoing tension. I suspect it probably applies to everybody in this room too. And it's the tension between the desire to please God and a need to please people. Now, I don't consider myself to be particularly insecure. But like everyone else, I do prefer to be liked. You know, I, I do struggle to an extent with other people's opinion of me. After all, who wants to be the grumpy, self-righteous, opinionated, disliked pastor? No one wants to be that man. But the danger is that this can become a mountain. People-pleasing. might call it approval addiction. The Bible calls it the fear of man. You know, the old world's line, you can't please all of the people all the time, but we desperately want to, don't we, if we're honest. And God's been showing me over many years, really, but particularly recently, you know, some people won't like everything I do. Sorry, I'm going to offend people. I'm sorry, I will because I'm human. I'm going to make decisions people aren't going to like. I'm going to make mistakes, God says. God says, Jamie, you're going to make mistakes. You know, that's okay. We'd rather you didn't, but it's okay. That's not the end. As we've read through the Sermon on the Mount, you know, I've been learning lessons like this. You know, winning the argument, actually it's overrated. We love to win, don't we? But it's overrated. You know, again, as you read through the Sermon on the Mount, it talks about humility. Humility is such a strong trait, it's such a strong force. And yet within each of us, there's a degree of pride and ego that we spend ages, if we're not careful, protecting and preserving. Hey, it's time to let that go. So what if people are angry with you? It's going to happen. Get used to it. You know, often there is a greater win. It's one of the messages of the Sermon on the Mount. You know, don't get that second strike in when they whack you on the cheek. There, there are greater issues at stake than whether you get the next punch in. These kind of revelations are tough because, you know, like everybody, I like to be right. Anyone here like to be wrong? No? Didn't think so. We like to be popular. We may not be used to being popular. We prefer that, don't we? And I like to get my own way. I do. So can I let go of the need to defend myself? Can I let go of the desire to manipulate things, to try and win people around, manipulating circumstances to make me look good? Can I let all that go? See, the mountain is the fear of man. The light is the fear of God. And the revelation, the light for me is that that relationship with God is the thing that I need to nurture. It's my relationship with God is the thing that I need to protect and to preserve. Ultimately, it comes down to, do I have peace with God? Do I have peace with God? I'm never going to have peace with everybody because, hey, we're all different. We've all got different opinions and different priorities, but have I got peace with God? That's what must come first. 
it's very easy to get the cart before the horse. The horse is good relationship with God. The cart that comes behind is good relationships with other people. Good relationships with God is the root and a good relationship with others is the fruit that will flow out of that root if I get the order the right way around. So the mountain that I'm referring to is the mountain of trying to keep everybody happy. You know, you can go round and round and round and round that mountain. Many of you have. You know exactly what I'm talking about. But once we, once we realign everything, once we realize, actually, God is the one we're accountable to. He's the one who's calling us. Then that mountain just goes. It just disappears. It's no longer in your path. Actually, it's that relationship with the Lord is the thing that is the critical thing in front of us. And the mountain has gone. Stories told of a young violin uh, protégé. And he performs a concert in a concert hall. And he plays his brilliant repertoire. Everyone's amazed. And at the end of the final number, everyone stands in the audience, apart from one, everyone stands and gives him an overwhelming applause. And there are cheers and whistles. There's one little old man sitting in the first front row there who remains seated with a grim expression on his face. The little boy looks up, bursts into tears, and runs off the stage. The reason? That was his violin teacher. It's very important to us that we recognize who we're trying to please. There's a really good song that, that's, that's done, meant a lot to me. You can look it up on YouTube called Audience of One by a group called Big Daddy Weave. Audience of One. At the end of the day, who's looking? Whose praise is it that we're after? Who are we trying to please? So am I living with that perspective? You know, what's God saying to me? What does God want me to do? How does God see me? Or am I paralyzed by people's opinions? Am I constantly defending my own ego? Because that's a mountain looming ahead of my path. Am I going to climb it? Or am I going to keep walking round and round over and over and over again? And the point is that as God makes that light available to me, to you, to us, progressively, compellingly, we have to walk in it. Walk in the light when it's made available to you. Bringing things to a close. Story. Story is told of a monastery in Portugal perched high on a 3,000-foot cliff and accessible only by a terrifying ride in a swaying basket. The basket is pulled with a single rope by several strong men perspiring under the strain of the fully loaded basket. One tourist who visited the site got nervous halfway out the cliff when he noticed that the rope was old and frayed. Hoping to relieve his fear, he asked, how often do you change the rope? Monk in charge replied, Whenever it breaks. <laughs> Not sure I'd be getting that basket. In other words, don't wait for the train wreck to do what God has shown you to do. And if we're talking about the qualities of overcomers, overcomers walk in the light when it's made available to them. You know, some people 
will change when they see the light. Others will change only when they feel the heat. You know, don't complain about the heat if you've ignored the light. Think of a bonfire. You see the light first and have plenty of warnings to resist the urge to thrust your hand into it. Are you going to wait for the heat to change? Or are you going to see the light? Are you going to do what God says? Or are you going to keep falling face down into that ditch? Falling at that hurdle. What are you going to do? It's foolish, isn't it, to ignore the light? To ignore the warnings or the solutions that God gives us? You know, so much better to deal with it now. To avoid the pain later. I'd encourage you, today, whatever that mountain is in front of you, this is God's call to conquer that mountain. Don't let it beat you for the next decade. Don't let it continue to beat you up week after week after week. You know, whatever, whatever's going on in life, you know, if, if there's a live frog right now in your marriage, in your home, deal with it now before the damage becomes irreparable. Spend more quality time with your kids now before that relationship drifts into oblivion. Had to be here last week to get this one, but get the snake out of your house now. Don't let it, let it lay its eggs in your living room. I'm going back to the beginning. There's nothing worse than watching someone going round and round and round the same mountain. You probably know people doing this. You know the ditch. They keep falling and you've tried to warn them, you've tried to show them, you wish they'd ask, but they keep falling headlong for whatever reason. What I'd say is there's nothing particularly new in this message. There's nothing earth-shattering, but it's true. And if you'll get a hold of this, it's very powerful. So I'll finish this pretty much as I finish every week by saying to you, okay, given the simple principle. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? I'd like to give you some questions to take to the Lord. We'll, in a minute, ask Mark uh, to come up and uh, lead us in a bit of response worship time. And I just encourage you, you know, you can hear the message and sort of shrug your shoulders and, you know, keep going up the mountain if that's what you want. You know, but why do it? And I'd say, let's, let's ask the Lord some big questions today. Well, he I believe that if God brings things to our attention right now, if we will pay attention, if we will respond to it right now, there is breakthrough available. I believe as we pray this morning, there is going to be breakthrough anointing, as it were, to see you overcome that hurdle, to see you get it finally, and to see you walking in the light so you can enjoy that victory. So, the questions for you this morning. Number one is, what is your mountain? What is your mountain? What's he stirring? What's he showing you? What's he bringing to the surface? What's bubbling right now? What is there in your life that you know needs to change? And I'll give you a clue. If you're not sure, dig your ribs and your elbow into the person next to you. They'll tell you what the thing is that needs to be changed. They're probably better at seeing your mountain than you are. Number one, what's your mountain? Number two is, if, if any of that's happening, if any of that's stirring, then what's the revelation? In that area of struggle, in that potential area of growth and character change, 
Is, is the light shining right now? What's, what's he already shown you? What is he showing you right now? Have you responded to it? And are you going to respond to it? And third one, you know, if you're one of these people who's going round and round and round and round that mountain, is there any area in your life where he has shown you the light? You're just refusing stubbornly, willfully to walk in it. In essence, you're in disobedience. But the good news is you can repent right here and now, open the door to your heart again and let God in. For some of you, maybe you're thinking, well, that's fine, I can't think of any, any mountains right now, any particular issues. Well, they'll probably come around. But if, if, if that's you, how does this message apply to you? Well, again, if you walk in the light when it's made available to you, what is, what is the breakthrough that you long to see? You know, maybe it's, it's not for you, maybe it's for other people, maybe it's for the church, maybe it's for your family. You know, when we see the light, when God shines the light, that's critical, isn't it? And I, I'd encourage you to say this, Lord, what's the light that I need to see in order to get the breakthrough that I long for? Again, it may not be specific to you. It may not be a mountain as such. But God, today, show me. What's the key? Shine your light so I can see what I need to do to change this circumstance. The final thing I'd like to say is, I'll read a little section here from John chapter 1. There's a starting point to all this. And the Bible makes it pretty clear that without Jesus, we are without hope. We are without light. We're essentially blinded and we're essentially stumbling around in the darkness. The good news is there is a light that can completely break and blow out the water, that darkness. Let me read to you John chapter 1 from verse 4, a little stretch here. So the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him, and accepted him. He gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. And I don't know, you may be here this morning and you've actually never allowed the light in. You've never said, Lord, I want to move out of darkness into light. I want to move from doing it my way into doing it your way. In this passage here, it says everyone who believed him, everyone who received him, he gave the right to be called a child of God, not through some natural rebirth, but what the Bible calls a spiritual rebirth. In church, we call it being born again. And if you've never done that, we'd like to give you the opportunity today. If you haven't, come and see me in a minute as you respond. I'd love to talk about that with you. How do you do that? How do you step once and for all from darkness into light? So I'll ask Mark and, and uh, whoever's come with him to come to the front. We'll spend, we've got about 15 minutes. Don't know if it'll take that long. 
I will just, uh, just encourage you to take these issues, these questions to the Lord and say, Lord, what have I got to do? What are you showing me today? As always, there's a ministry team we've got that will come and pray for you. If there's anything you like prayer for, anything associated with what I've been preaching on this morning or anything else, any challenges, issues, if, you've got, if you need healing, you want someone to pray for you for anything, come over to this corner over here they'll, and they'll pray for you. They'll pray over you, whatever it is. If you want to make a bit of a bold stand this morning, there's an issue that you're dealing with, you want to say, Lord, today I want to change. I want to get it. I want to repent. I want to walk in the light. If you really want to seek the Lord and say, Lord, what are you showing me? Then if you want to come over to this side, you can do business with God on your own. No one will pray for you or with you. But it's just a way of kind of signifying, God, I mean business in all of that. Otherwise, you're welcome to just spend some time pondering and praying as we wrap up for the next few minutes. And uh, then we'll close and we can drink coffee and our kids can run around. Is that okay? Let's stand. And I'll pray. Father God, we're so grateful that you sent the light into the world. And his name is Jesus. Lord, we're so grateful. And I know that there are people in this room right now who can see right in front of them, looming, scary, large, a mountain. And they know it's there. They recognize it. They've been round it and round it and round it. It's tiring them out. It's wearing them out. But Lord, I am convinced today that you want to show them the light. And that if they will catch a hold of that light as it's made available to them and walk into it, they can have this victory. Lord, we've, got, we've looked at winning and losing. We know what it's like to be crushed by circumstances. We know what it's like to be more than conquerors in spite of the circumstances. Lord, we know which we prefer. So Lord, I just pray over everyone this morning and say, Lord, please show Please shine that light and give people that little nudge, that little poke that gives them the, the boldness to step across the line and start to walk in the fullness, the reality of that light. Lord, I'd love to see people have breakthroughs today and over the next few weeks as we learn together to overcome the world, to step into that destiny in Christ. Holy Spirit, we just open our hearts now and our ears say, Lord, if there's anything you need to show us this morning, Lord, would you come and do that? In Jesus' name, amen.